Lord, at the foot of the cross, and having had heard the words of Scripture, we open our hearts and our minds to you now that we may reflect upon your word and grow in your love. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Old Mr. Smith was a retired farm worker who lived in the village lane just down from where I lived as a boy. We often used to pass his little cottage when we took our dog for a walk. Little cottage, but a long garden, and it was divided into three sections. The section nearest the house was a flower garden. He had a wonderful assortment of flowers. And then there was a vegetable patch, the second third of the garden. The final section of the garden was a chicken run. Mr. Smith spent nearly all his life in his garden, and you were very lucky if you could ever see a weed anywhere. But just occasionally he had to break off from his work in the flower garden or the vegetable gardens to attend to the chicken run. Because uh, not far from where he lived, there were quite a number of fields and many foxes. And when they fancied a tasty supper, they would try and breach Mr. Smith's defences, and they would bury their way, burrow their way under the, the wire netting that he had so carefully placed there. Mr. Smith would wake up in the morning and come down and find the wire netting disturbed and one or two hens sadly killed. Foxes and hens do not make good friends. But foxes and hens both make an appearance in that short gospel reading that we heard this morning. And I think there is both a challenge and a comfort in those words of Jesus this morning. Well, you might ask, who was the fox? The answer is quite simple. The fox, of course, was Herod, King Herod. He was a dangerous man. Uh, he played fast and loose with morals, and he'd been challenged by John the Baptist and because he didn't like what John the Baptist said, he didn't like his criticism, he put John in prison. But you may remember that there came a day when, John the Baptist, uh, when Herod found himself on the horns of a dilemma. He hadn't really wanted to kill John because he knew he was very popular. But there was a birthday party and his stepdaughter uh, danced so beautifully that he promised his stepdaughter anything she wanted. And his stepdaughter went to her mother, Herodias, and said, what shall I ask for? And her mother said, you ask for the head of John the Baptist. And because he had made that promise publicly, he couldn't go back on his word. So John was beheaded. Now Jesus knew all this, of course. Jesus knew that Herod was a dangerous man, that he'd probably be gunning for him too. And when some Pharisees came to Jesus and persuaded him to, or tried to persuade him, to leave the area where he was and go somewhere else for his safety, he realised that really this was just a setup from Herod. Because Herod didn't want to challenge him openly and kill him because he knew Jesus was popular, he thought there might be some other way of getting rid of him. So he got these Pharisees to try and do his dirty work for him and persuade him to leave quietly and go somewhere else. Of course, it didn't work. Foxes have a reputation of being sly, don't they? And this ploy by Herod using Pharisees who were apparently concerned for the safety of Jesus was just a way of trying to silence Jesus and uh, without openly confronting him and arresting him. 
Herod was acting like a sly fox, and Jesus called him out. So there's a challenge in these words, isn't there? Recognize evil for what it is, because it sometimes comes dressed up in rather subtle forms. We're not always good at recognizing evil, especially perhaps when evil just appears as seeds, even when it's right under our nose, because there is a danger, I think, because we're Christians. We want to see everybody in a good light. We want to see everything in a good light if we possibly can. We may even view the world through rose-colored spectacles. But if we do that, what it means is that we don't actually see the world accurately. I well remember from the very early days of my ministry, a delightful couple, really lovely Christian couple, members of a church where I was minister. Um, And uh, they always tried to see the best in everybody. But they came home one evening from a singing engagement. They loved singing. They sang here, there, and everywhere. And they came home from an inspiring evening singing Handel's Mazar, I think it was, only to find that their third son had been arrested by the police. And uh, they got to go and try and sort things out. Their third son and each of the sons in turn had got into trouble with the police. So whilst they were enjoying life and reveling in the wonder of God's creation and trying to see the good in everybody, they had not noticed the evil that was creeping into their very home right underneath their noses. They looked out lovingly on the world and they wanted to see the best in people, but they failed to recognize evil for what it was. At this moment in time, as we all know, the international scene is dominated by the situation of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And some people have likened the rise of uh, Vladimir Putin or the danger of Vladimir Putin to the danger that was posed by Adolf Hitler in the 1930s and the outbreak of the Second World War. One of the most enlightening books that I've read in the last uh, two or three years, I think, is a book entitled Travellers in the Third Reich. And I found it enlightening because it answered some of the questions that I had been asking sometimes. You know, why was it that all through the 1930s, when Hitler was gradually gaining power in Germany, that people somehow didn't notice what was going on or realise the depth of the evil that was being uh, generated. And this book, Travellers in the Third Reich, traces some of the strands of the story of Germany in the 1930s and how many people, business visitors and tourists alike, especially from Western European countries and from America, were hoodwinked by the rising tide of racial hatred and Nazism that were sometimes so well disguised, so insidiously into communities and into organizations, sometimes with all the slyness of a fox. And how deeply we need to pray at the moment for the wisdom of the leaders of our nations as they try to respond to this current situation in Ukraine. Foxes are dangerous. But in this same passage, we have a very contrasting picture drawn by Jesus. Jesus not only talks about foxes, he also talks about hens. And in this short passage that um, Ali read for us, Jesus laments over Jerusalem, 
says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. I'm sure you've all seen them, but just in case you haven't, there's a picture on the screen. We can invited to think of this picture of Jesus wanting to gather together the scattered children and protect them from danger, to save them from the dangers of those who might hurt them, whether they were the brutal forces of the Roman Empire, whether they were the rather uh, corrupt religious leaders who could be so deceptive sometimes uh, in Judaism, or the frequent uh, disobedience of individual people themselves. Whatever it was that was marring life, spoiling life, Jesus wanted to rescue people from that and to protect them so that they could enjoy his gift of abundant life, which is what he wants for all. Jesus wanted to rescue and protect. I'm sure we've all seen this scenario. Perhaps we've been in a farmyard and we've seen a hen protecting her chicks. Or we've walked along the riverside and we've seen a swan or a duck uh, protecting their young or making sure that they swim very closely to them so that they don't get into dangers. Jesus uses this kind of imagery to take us right to the very heart of God. Sometimes in our prayers these days we use that phrase, as indeed Ali did in her prayers this morning, uh, God our Father and our Mother. And occasionally people come up very critical of this and say, oh, this is just another uh, bit of the feminist movement, isn't it? And over somebody being a bit overzealous trying to advance the cause of equality. But it's here in Scripture, actually, we have this very moving picture of motherhood, as well as fatherhood being at the very heart of God, the picture of motherhood that carries with it all the ideas of God's protecting nature. In a couple of weeks' time, we shall be celebrating Mothering Sunday. And most of us will think about our own mothers, whether they're still alive or whether they've died. And uh, we shall think more widely about other people's mothers and the various pictures of motherhood that we've built up as we've travelled through life. I always remember a friend of mine uh, describing somebody that we both knew, uh, a very little lady who had five daughters. Uh, she was a small lady. She hadn't had a great education. And this friend of ours... Um, uh, said to me one day, you know so-and-so, he said, she may be a little woman and she may not be particularly well-educated, but you try messing about with any of our children and you'll find out what a fighter she is. She knew how to protect her children. She loved each one of them. And woe betide anybody who uh, caused anything of a danger to those children of hers. Motherhood as well as fatherhood. Of course, even when we brought together all the pictures, the best pictures that we have of fatherhood and the best pictures that we have of motherhood and we put them together, we still haven't really embraced entirely the total nature of God. But that picture of motherhood is one actually which is there in the Old Testament. One or two of the Psalms use this image of God putting us under the protection of his wings. He will cover you with his feathers under his wings you will find refuge. And then there's that amazing uh, picture drawn by the prophet Isaiah that we heard in our first reading from Marissa. Comes from the time when the Jews were in captivity in Babylon for 60 or 70 years. 
They've been uprooted from their homes and their communities, taken away from Jerusalem and the surrounding countryside, and taken to a strange country where they didn't want to be. And they regarded it as a rather God-forsaken kind of place. But God called Isaiah, the prophet, to speak words of hope and to point forward to the days when they would be able to go home. But even more important than that, Isaiah was telling his fellow countrymen that God was with them now, even in this place that they regarded as a rather God-forsaken country, even in this strange place where they'd been forced to live, but they didn't want to live. Isaiah says to them, no, God has not forgotten you any more than most mothers would forget their children. Uses this image, can a mother forget the baby at her breast or have no compassion for the child that she has born? She, a mother, may become forgetful, but I will not forget you, says the Lord. And speaking on God's behalf, Isaiah goes on to say, look, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand, heart and hands. There's a story that comes from India about two young lads who got into trouble with the law. They were put into prison until certain sums of money could be paid. For one lad, that wasn't very long. Three or four days later, his father, who was a wealthy man, turned up at the prison and paid all the money that was required. The other lad had only a widowed mother for his uh, parent. And she worked in a stone quarry. She had to work hard and long days. She earned very little. She used to come and visit her son in prison and through the prison bars she'd stretch her hands and he would see her hands. And they were rough, cut by the stone and sometimes blooded. And eventually, after a long time, she had managed to save up enough money and she went to the prison, paid the money, and the lad was released. Sometime later, the two lads met up again. The first lad tried to suggest to the second lad that they might go on another criminal spree and make a bit of money. But the second lad wasn't up for it. He said, it's okay for you. He said, your father had plenty of money to pay and release you from prison. My freedom came from the sweat and the toil of my mother's hands. I can't abuse that kind of sacrifice and love. Our life in Christ, the offer of life in all its fullness, has come from the costly sacrifice of Christ. His desire to be like a hen protecting her young resulted in Jesus paying the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate cost. And on Good Friday, we shall hear words read from the crucifixion story about Jesus. He saved others. Himself, he could not save. And so our journey through Lent takes us to Jerusalem and to Calvary. And there we're reminded of the true cost to Jesus of being the one who wanted to be like a hen, protecting her young. And so I invite you this morning to take both the challenge and the comfort of this very short gospel reading. The challenge to live in the real world, to acknowledge the existence of foxes, sly, destructive forces, and to pray for wisdom to recognize evil when it rears its head. But also the comfort, the comfort of going, knowing God's motherly, 
protective, caring love. Amen.